Become spellweavers, reavers, rogues, and men-at-arms, and answer the call of adventure. Pick up your sword, your axe, your spellbook, your bow, your rulebook, and your dice, and join the forces of good in their eternal fight against vile monsters, conspiring min-maxers, horny bards, and blood-soaked murder hobos. Discover the treasure trove of role-playing games here on Rollin' Bones. My name is Ryan Howard, and I shall be your guide. Good evening, Boneheads, and welcome to Rollin' Bones with Ryan Howard, your RPG treasure trove. I'm your host and king of the Boneheads, Ryan Howard, and welcome, one and all, to Valor Studios. If this is your first time joining us, Valor Studios is a tabletop role-playing game community where we love to share our stories with the world. I'm so glad that you guys decided to join us on this uh, Memorial Day evening. Uh, thank you to everyone out there who's uh, you know served in the United States military or those of you who have uh, lost loved ones in the line of duty. We appreciate the sacrifice that they made for us. And uh, we're glad that you guys are here watching with us tonight. If you want to know more about what Valor Studios has going on, you can follow us on Twitter. Uh, you'll see the Twitter handle pop up in the chat over here next to me. And you can obviously uh, follow us here on Twitch and subscribe. Every Monday night at 8 p.m., we are doing Rollin' Bones here at twitch.tv slash Valor Studios. If someone who really, really wanted to catch this show was not able to, you can always direct them back here to watch the VODs, or you can direct them to our YouTube channel. And you can also listen to this as an audio podcast on any podcatcher of your choice. And the last thing we want to direct you to before we get to the main event, the meat and potatoes of tonight's show, is the Valor Studios Discord, which you'll also see a link for over here in the chat. So, without further ado, many of you who I know personally have told me stories of how you picked up these novels with these wonderfully painted Larry Elmore covers that said Dragonlance at the top, and that was your introduction to this world, this hobby that we find ourselves in. Well, for those of you who share that origin story of your D&D fandom, it is my pleasure to let you know that we have the creators of Dragonlance, the creators of Ravenloft, uh, two absolute titans of the RPG world. Without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Tracy and Laura Hickman to Rollin' Bones. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. It's great to be here this evening and to share this time with everyone. Good evening. Absolutely. And thank you guys for taking time out of your day to, to come on here and, and do the show with me. I'm very excited to, to have this conversation with you guys tonight. Well, Laura made chili here for us this evening, and uh, that was really good. This was part of our uh, Memorial Day celebration. Yes. That's true. And rainy, which actually was a perfect day for games, by the way. So we've done that all day. Absolutely. There, there's nothing quite like a uh, a rainy day where uh, you can stay inside and play board games. That's that's a, a good use of a rainy day, in my opinion. Oh, absolutely. It's one of the reasons I look forward to rainy days, actually. We, <laughs> we still play a lot of games around here at the Hickman House. 
Absolutely. Now we're going to start this interview the same way we start all these interviews. So let's, you know, begin at the beginning here. Tracy and Laura, how did you guys get into role-playing games? Well, I had a girlfriend who wanted me to be in a play um, that she was producing in a little downtown theater in Provo, Utah. And uh, someone had dropped out of the cast, and she just wanted me to take this little part. She says, it's only two or three lines, you'll love it. She'd also told me about this strange game she'd been playing with other people in her cast. Um, and I thought it sounded interesting, but she was kind of really enthusiastic about it and kind of, I don't know, kind of worried me <laughs> about how excited she was about it. But we'd been friends for, I don't know, quite a while, and so I, uh, I said I'd take the part, and went to rehearsal and I got there and the, like three guys walked in. She said, did you bring the books? Have you got the dice? And they said, oh yeah, yeah, they're in the car. And we didn't rehearse. In fact, the play was never produced. <laughs> we sat on the stage and they handed me a paper and they said, you're, you're a second level mage, roll these dice. <laughs> and I was so, um, surprised and they were really strange looking dice but I put I can't remember I think it was just a bunch of kobolds to sleep and I'm <laughs> instantly in love I completely forgot I mean we were newlyweds we hadn't been married but a few months and I completely forgot who I was that I'd gotten married anything I was supposed to pick Tracy up from work totally <laughs> anything but this game and um he walked in and he was, I don't know, pretty steamed because he had to, have to walk across town to find his wife. And that is how I got introduced to roleplay. I, I asked her, I, I said, what is it? Oh, it's this game. She said, it's this amazing game that I played. And, and I said, well, okay, I've played games most of my life. I said, what is the board like? And she said, well, there isn't one. And I said, well, okay, uh, what are the rules? And she said, well, they're kind of flexible. <laughs> and I said, you draw a map. Uh, I thought this sounded like the dumbest thing I'd ever heard. <laughs> oh, that's not a game. That's just sitting around and talking. So she actually bought for me. Um, she actually bought for me for my birthday that year, later that year. My birthday is in November, and she bought me a copy of what we now know as the Blue Basic. And the guys that I had been playing with had the white boxes, mm -hmm. but um, I couldn't find those, so I bought the Blue Basic. Yeah, and, and the Blue Basic, as, as, as our game historians all know, is called the Blue Basic because the rule book cover was blue, and that was because uh, TSR, who published it at the time, um, could not afford to have more than one color on the cover, but they didn't want everything to be in black and white. So they used blue for the, the <laughs> robot cover. So uh, she bought the... Uh... I could not wait till his birthday, which is in November around Thanksgiving. I gave it to him for Halloween. <laughs> and then I was a D&D &D widow for three weeks. Yeah. I ran out that night, and I and the rule book was badly written, almost yeah, not in English, and and poorly organized. But I understood what it was about. Went out, bought my first graph paper, 
and uh and then yeah i was gone for weeks designing my first dungeon at the time and so after dinner on thanksgiving yes we sat down with my mom who was with us just the three of us together she was how old at the time my goodness my age and yeah then yeah okay We rolled up characters and we played Tracy's first dungeon. That's right. After Thanksgiving dinner. And her mother fell asleep in the middle of the game, and Laura <laughs> had to carry her through the dungeon for the rest of the evening. So the the real answer to that question is that Laura is the one who got us into uh, into role playing games. Absolutely. Yeah, and. I think any uh, any role player spouse out there can relate to this uh, this feeling of where where's my significant other, and then seeing uh, oh uh, they're they're sitting around a table pretending with their friends. Yeah, we we do a uh, we do a, a kind of a performance crazy uh, dungeon event at conventions called Killer Breakfast, mm-hmm. um, where we have. Um, uh, Essentially, everybody gets a first-level character and uh, that they have no emotional attachment to, and then they come on stage and then come up against monsters that will kill them on an initiative roll. Um, and the only way that they stay on stage for any length of time is if they do something incredibly brave or incredibly foolish, which is usually the same thing, or incredibly entertaining. And the moment that their character's death is more entertaining than they are, they die and <laughs> they get up and leave and somebody else takes their place. And we, we do about, you know, we go through about 200 characters during a two hour show. <laughs> but part of this also is doing karaoke music because uh, our shows have to be musicals. <laughs> and one of the songs that you reminded me that we did was to, uh, um, it was from Les Mis. <laughs> Yeah, and ours was I'm alone. My husband's gone out gaming. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. I'm pretty sure I know which song you're talking about too. <laughs> oh yeah, it's a really moving piece. Uh, actually, Laura performs it uh, when we. Uh... Sure, absolutely, it was more likely to be both of us. <laughs> uh... So. Of the games that you guys have played over the years, the the various systems of of D and D, and then other game systems beyond, if you had to pick a favorite system, what would you say that is? Oh wow! Well, that's really hard. I we used to play quite a bit of Traveler, hmm. and um, I really enjoyed that. There was one night we played. Um, I we called it the it was a version of Leviathan. It was a version yeah. of Leviathan that Tracy had uh, changed up for us, and it was so good. It was, was like it. being in this haunted ship. It was fantastic. You have to admire a game system that you can die during character creation. I mean, that's pretty. <laughs> yep, <laughs> that's pretty out there. Um, I I of course. Um, um, I was very fond of uh, first edition AD&D, but not so much for the system, which was really problematic, but, um, but because of the emotional attachment that I had to it. Um, uh, I, I, bought, I bought the player's handbook 
first when because it came out first. I mean, the books I have here in my home are first editions in each of those. And uh, terribly worn, falling apart. But um, there was a, that one point, in fact, uh, I realized that uh, I had actually used my student loan money to purchase our AD&D books. Mm-hmm. You said we better find a way to make money at this if you're going to spend this much money on books. So that's grocery money. Mm-hmm. But I did. And, and actually, as it, and as it turned out, it was the best use I put that student loan money to out of all of the things we applied it to. It's true. It's true. You know, Tracy, also at one point, um, the actually, I should say the first role-playing game system he wrote was called Dreamer, and it was never published. Um, but we played it actually quite a bit with family mm-hmm. and friends, and I just loved playing that. So. I've actually got a copy of it here on the on, on the shelf. Yeah, awesome. I do say I must say, however, that I'm very happy with fifth edition. I think five E is is a fine system, and uh, Laura and I are actually having a great deal of fun right now writing for five E um, or two five E, I should say, um, mm-hmm. under the uh, under their uh, uh, OGL. Um, we did a Kickstarter last fall. And, and had great results with it, and now we're in the middle of creating this new world, and and I'm, we're, both of us are really enjoying it very much. It's a lot of work, but we're having a, a really great time building this new world. Absolutely. And doing that with our friends, too, which is really fun, Kim and Joe Bori. Yeah, Kim and Joe Bori. We're actually taking, um, we're excited because we're taking role-playing in, in uh, another, a, 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 a next step innovative step i think um there's a lot of uh i mean there's a lot of uh of tools that are becoming available to us um but we're hoping that our approach is actually going to um improve gameplay yeah um improve the play on the table play on the table yeah it's our goal gotcha gotcha that that sounds pretty cool yeah we're very excited about it now, along the lines of, you know, how you like to design your games and things like that, when it comes to both running games and playing in games as a player, how would each of you describe your play styles? How do, how do you like to play the game when you take on those various roles? To just charge ahead. It uh, doesn't matter what I'm playing exactly. I've played uh, Assassin's End. Mages and clerics and, you know, name something. I played it. Oh, my. <laughs> and I I just uh, like charging ahead. I like actually being in charge of the party. Um, and I, but I do take time to think. I'm not, when I say charge ahead, I don't um, not think, but I don't also, I don't carbon date a door either mm-hmm. before I open it. And I'm so, glad to hear that. <laughs> the, the the sad truth is that I rarely get to play. That's true. Because I'm almost always running the game. And I, I almost never run a game because he's running the game. <laughs> even even if it's something that we've written together, I don't yeah. run it. Yeah. And I've I, I mean I've been running games for quite some time, and and uh, I guess I'm good at it. Oh. 
anyway, um, and in, uh, so I don't get to play as uh, nearly as often as I'd like. But when I do get to play, um, I uh, I'm also very much the same way. I'm less concerned with min maxing or with um, playing um, gaming the rules. In, a, in in my play, I'm much more of a role player when it comes to that. Um, and so I will I will attempt things that that my statistics probably don't warrant uh, in the attempt. but um, uh, I'm also a great believer that that failure can be just as much fun as success uh, depending on uh, on how you approach it. So I guess in some ways our play styles are very, very much alike. We both like to play the part um, over the game. Absolutely. And and for all of you forever GMs out there, uh, you may think that it's been a while since you played, but Tracy Hickman has been a forever GM for 40 years. So, uh, Yeah, that's, that is true. Absolutely. Yeah. Put, put it in perspective a little bit. So... This next question can be hard for people, especially, you know, those of us who give over a significant portion of our time or in your case, uh, most of your time towards this hobby. We have lots of great memories that come from playing at these tables. So if you guys had to pick a favorite table memory, a favorite RPG memory, what would that be for you? Well, go ahead. What's your? I think we were playing actually in our little apartment in Lake Geneva. Um, we were play testing a Dragonlance um, before the books, actually. Mm-hmm. And I was playing Gold Moon. Um, I can't remember. I can't remember all the particulars, but I do remember that um, there was this big, like, bamboo statue that someone crawled inside and it got set on fire. And that ended up in the book, but it was a hilarious gaming session because everything went wrong. And sometimes, sometimes the best sessions are when, you know, it just doesn't go so smoothly. Absolutely. I'm trying to think, actually. Um, um, there's actually two that come to mind. If if I could be that indulgent, um, okay. one of which was in a Ravenloft session that uh, we played. We actually played Ravenloft every Halloween for like de- years, literally. Um, quite a while before it was ever published, yeah. in fact. It was a tradition. We just played it on Halloween. Um, so the, the first uh, memory that comes to my mind is with uh, Terry Phillips. It was a friend of ours, and we were playing Ravenloft, and he had, he had in the course of the adventure, he had come to understand what had happened to um, Strahd von Zarovich and how the, the Count had come to this place. And he could see why the Count had become what he had become and the tr- very tragic nature of his story. And when it came to the end, uh, when they find when they did find him, it just so happened that the matrix of that particular game, they found him uh, laying across the grave of his brother, weeping. And 
it was that moment when, you know, it was time to do the attack. It was the finale of the adventure. And he couldn't bring himself to attack the Count because he had such pity for him and for what had happened to him and and how he had come to this place in life that he could not uh, could not make the attack. And all the rest of the party didn't feel that way about it at all, charged forward and, you know, would, were just on him like a pack of wolves, which he commented to after to afterwards. He took me aside and he said they, they were just like, they're like animals attacking him, and I just couldn't do it. And I said, yes, but that was justice here. That's, you know, that was his fate here. That someone would be so connected to the story and so moved by the events of the adventure that they could not gain the end, mm-hmm. but had but had to pause for reflection was a really great moment in for me in in games. Um, the other one's not nearly so serious. It actually happened fairly recently as we've been playtesting our Sky Raiders uh, 5e game. Mm. Um, uh, our group of adventurers had had managed to acquire um, a, a, a an aeroship, a, a flying sailing ship that had not been seen in these lands in over two centuries mm-hmm. and had resurrected it essentially from the ruins and said, oh, let's fly it home. And so they did. They, they flew it back to their little village where they'd all come from. And instantly, even as they were flying over the village, realized that their very presence was going to cause riots in the town and upset the delicate balance of all the warring parties and that all of a sudden this this thing that they had acquired was going to be a huge problem for their society and i loved that moment of realizing that this this simple thing oh yes we got the prize and we're going to take the prize home that it wasn't that simple that in fact it had implications for the society in which they lived and for the balance of power in on their coastal region and i loved that moment as well so those are the two i think that come to mind for me gotcha and it's got to be from the perspective of a dm because uh (laughs) yeah absolutely now uh this is the last of the introductory questions and I'll tell you guys, the answer can be as philosophical or as sophomoric as you want it to be. I hope we pass this test. <laughs> yeah, this is, yeah. But Tracy and Laura Hickman, if you could put anything on a T-shirt, what would it be? <laughs> oh, we already own one. Yes. Okay, should we say it? Sure. One, two, three. Slava Ukraini. Gotcha. And and what does that mean? Slava Ukraini is mm-hmm. means uh, glory to Ukraine. Gotcha. And um, we're of course uh, it's very we're very much uh, in the midst of this um, great conflict that is happening across the world, mm-hmm. but it is also a part of all of us. Well. History goes back into Ukraine. Hmm. So 
Oh, it's not a lot. Even a thimble full of blood, you feel it. You feel mm. it. Yeah, and so and and so we do. We um, it, it is of some interest to me that for uh, a couple of years now, I have actually wanted to visit Kiev mm. and, uh, and and get to know the people there. Um, and there was something that just called to me about that place. Um, and I had uh, I had hopes of being able to go. Um, that this has happened, uh, that this has happened to those people is 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 terrible. But at the same time, after after decades of of writing about um, heroes and and talking about uh, bravery and 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 what what it means to be um, um, glorious and 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 honorable. Uh, after all these decades of talking about that, to uh, to see this um, nation attacked and then rise up in its own defense and to stop what to stop what everyone the week before was certain was going to be a rout. And to think of to think of their president saying I I don't need transportation, I need guns. Mm-hmm. Um, and for him to have stood his ground with his people, I can't write that kind of honorable glory. I can't write that kind of of true heroism. Mm-hmm. It's the truth. Because it is true. Absolutely. So so yes, that's what we would put. And in fact, I've got a T-shirt that says that, and uh, and um, and and carry that uh, the patch of that flag whenever I wear it with uh, a great deal of hope. Absolutely, absolutely. And 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 what a thing to think about on a day like today, where in in the U.S. where we celebrate the people who lost their lives in in defense of our homeland so you know to to think about people doing that with in their homeland uh, you know on on a day like today is is certainly uh it it's certainly a powerful thought it is and it's one that i try to remember on every other day mm-hmm. um and in fact i have here on my desk um before you get into that, I should probably excuse myself. Oh, yes. Well, maybe we should have... I will get into that in just a moment. You should talk to Laura. She has got to go and... i got to get back to my guests. <laughs> As, of course, um, being a holiday, we actually are having a party in the other room. <laughs> Absolutely. I am not, by the way. I am... Yes, that's okay. <laughs> so, yes, if you have some questions for Laura, this... Yes, for Laura, please. <laughs> Yeah, so just uh, real quick, Laura, through through your eyes, uh, as all of this was happening very early on, what was it like, the decision to begin 
publishing and creating RPG adventures and RPG modules for the general public beyond just the, the people at your table? What, what was that decision-making process like? Well, part of it had to do with the fact that Tracy had spent this money. <laughs> <laughs> and um, we felt like we had a really solid product. And Tracy's dad um, <laughs> lent us. I had written, I had actually written a dungeon called Rahasia. Um, because I was trying to write something Tracy could play, but he ended up um, doing all of the illustrations for it and laying it out. Um, we decided to turn it into a product because it was a fun little dungeon. And um, I remember one night when I was writing the story for it and Tracy was at work. He worked at the theaters in the evening and I had the radio on and I was typing on his dad's Selectric typewriter. <laughs> um, and paperback writer by the Beatles came on and I just was so happy. It was like, I just knew that this is what I was supposed to be doing. And I had no idea at the time that there weren't other women out there actually really doing much with this because it had been introduced to me by my girlfriend. It never occurred to me that there weren't, I don't know, that there weren't women designers that they weren't, there just wasn't out there and I didn't know at the time and so um we had we sat down and we decided to put out our first three actually mm. um as as um what we called night ventures and they were short dungeons because since we were newlyweds we had people who had to get babysitters and things life had become complicated <laughs> um in order to play and so we wanted to be able to play in one or two game sessions through an entire scenario. And that was uh, how we got started. Hmm. And we, we got them run off at the local printers, and we had them, um, what's it called? Shrink-wrapped? Shrink-wrapped by the vegetable guy at the grocery store down the street for um, like 25 cents a copy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Gotcha. And then one last question for you, just again, so, so you can get back to uh, to your guests. Of the work that you've done, and this might be a hard question to answer again, of the work that you've done personally, just you yourself, what would you say gives you kind of the, the most sent, the, the biggest feeling of pride in the accomplishments that you have? What, what of your work on any of the projects that you guys have done together? Uh, ha has made you kind of the, the most proud of the, the job that you've done over the years? Pretty hard. We've actually written 14 books together. I'd say it's our Dragon's Bard series, which is a, a series we had privately published. It's not a game series, it's a book series. Um, and the very last book in that series, in fact, will come out this summer, for those who subscribed to it originally. And I love those. They're very different fantasy. They're pastoral fantasy, which is something we've never actually written together before. And we enjoyed it quite a bit. And uh, we've had so many parents come to us and say, after they read it, they sat their children down and they read it to them aloud. And that was our intention to begin with. Um, but it surprised me that it actually happened. 
And we were very pleased. We had um, used a certain type of font in the books. We'd made it a certain size. We had um, used a ribbon in the book so that people would be able to read a chapter, close the book. And um, people found it useful, I mean, for reading to their kids, too. Mm -hmm. So people read it together as a family, which uh, was very gratifying for both of us. That's that's a type of fantasy that I think about quite a bit these days. I'm a very new father. Mm. Uh, my my daughter's only a, a little over a month old at this point. And my first experience with fantasy was my mom reading C.S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia to myself and my my two sisters. So thinking about having that experience with my child and, and having uh, books that I can read to her as she gets old enough to to understand them, that that is a very powerful thing to to share those stories with your family. So I, th that is definitely something to hang your hat on, I'd say, is is being able to create that for another uh, family out there. Thank you very much, and thank you for having me out tonight. Oh, no problem. I, I wish you could stay longer, but uh, we won't keep you anymore. Laura, so thank you so much for joining us here on Rolling Bones. Thank you so much. Have a good time, you all. Okay, thank you, sweetie. Oh, our books are right there. Would you hand me the... Yes, thank you. Okay. Now I'll show them what we, you were talking about. Okay. Oh, yes, of course. It's show and tell here. <laughs> um, on, these are the books that Laura was talking about. This is uh, our Eventide which is the first in the series. And then this one, which is uh, Blackshore, which is our kind of pirate book. Mm -hmm. Okay. And, and you, can, you can see on the back, there's no UPC code here because they're not sold. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, they're not in stores. They're, they're something that um, we published uh, on our own just for, just for our subscribers. Every, each one of them is numbered, each one of them is signed, and we know who owns each one. Hmm. So um, they're, they're pretty special to us. Absolutely. Is that yeah. something that it's possible to, to get for new people, or is that something that's just for those people who originally were subscribing to you? Um, we've got a few of them, I think, that are left, although we're not actively selling them at the moment. Hmm. Yeah, I, I know a guy, so, you know, if... Uh, um, <laughs> We, I guess we can talk later about that. Um, you did ask. Um, um, oh, I'm sorry. I, 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 my mind moves a, uh, a million miles a minute, and so you know, I just I get easily distracted here. Yep. So, uh, kind of you know, moving forward with this uh, you know discussion of the early days. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm going to interrupt you. I am going to I am going to answer a question uh, right now because I didn't want to let it go, especially today. Yep. Um, here on my desk, um, I've got this box, and I look on this box every day, and um, I don't often I don't tell this story very often, but um, it is Memorial Day, so I want to share it um, with uh, your audience before we move on. Um, uh, you asked 
uh, you asked Laura what, um, um, you know, about the things that motivate her and the thing that that, that has uh, happened that is the most uh, gratifying <clears throat> to her. And I'm not sure that gratifying is where this is at, but it certainly was um, important to me and defining for me. Um, we, you know, we we go out and we write these books and they go out and we, we're not there for the performance of the book. And this is something that happens when the reader pick, opens the book months, years later and uh, brings the book to life. Um, so the only contact that we usually really have is when we appear at like a convention or at book signings. And um, book signings are always very interesting because, <clears throat> I mean, people who come to the book signings, um, if they've read your book and if they've really enjoyed your book, they've had a very personal experience with it. I mean, they've been an active participant in the creation of this moment uh, that is this book. So when people come to book signings, um, they're, they're very smart people. So they know that they've only got um, maybe, you know, a minute, two minutes uh, of time with you. Um, and they know that they only have that amount of time to convey to you what the book meant to them, mm-hmm. and 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 how it impacted their lives and and maybe changed their lives and 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 and, and what they got from the book and how important that moment is to them. But they but they know that they've only got this minute, two minutes in which to do that. Mm-hmm. So they know they have to compress all of that into that moment and because we honor uh, our readers we are so grateful to our readers for making this life possible and for sharing this creation with us um, that we want to give them that moment and make sure that it's a a good and meaningful moment and so as a writer you find yourself giving pieces of yourself away um, from behind that table. Um, well, when you've got two, three hundred, five hundred people in line, each of whom want to have these intense moments with you and to take that moment with them because they're going to they're going to go home. They're going to tell people about this moment. And they're going to remember this moment for a long time. You know, after a while, you, you st- you've been giving pieces of yourself away and it feels a little thin. And so uh, as a writer, you can, sometimes you will get into the habit. You'll, you know, this is this rhythm where, okay, we take the book, we open the book, we sign the book. We, we thank them for coming. We ask them maybe what their char- favorite character was, or what they liked about the book. Smile, give them a moment, maybe a photograph hand the book off, take the next book, and begin again. Mm-hmm. And you get this rhythm in in this. Um, but one, uh, there was one book tour that Margaret and I were on, and uh, it was uh, to Fort Lewis in uh, Washington State. And it was at the PX at Fort Lewis, um, and... Uh, which is also adjacent, it's shared with an Air Force base there. Mm-hmm. And um, we went in and, and the 
owner of the PX, the runner of the PX there, took us aside and he said, now, you have to understand this isn't going to be like every other um, book signing. There are a lot of people who are here to see you, and but you know, some of them are about to be deployed. They don't know if they're going to be coming home. Some of them are family of people who are deployed, who are coming here to get the book signed for them. They don't know if they're coming home. Mm-hmm. So please be respectful. And Margaret and I both have had deep appreciation for uh, the services and the servicemen and women who who are uh, serving there. Hmm. So we did, and we sat down, but nevertheless, you get into this rhythm of take the book, smile, thank them, sign the book, pass it on. So I reached across the table to um, take this book, and it was a, a Dragonlance um, annotated chronicles, and it was a paperback, and absolutely dog-eared, worn out. The spine was broken. The cover was torn in places. The pages were all frayed. And I took the book, and and truthfully, a book like that is a book that I love because this is a book that has really lived. Oh yeah. And as I pulled the book across the table, I looked up. And here across the table from me was this young man, and he was sitting in a wheelchair. I, I, I took a moment, and I asked him his name, because I'm in the rhythm of it, and to sign his book for him. And as I'm signing the book for him, he says, this book has been with me on jumps from 30,000 feet. This book has been with me under the oceans. I take it with me everywhere. And he said, then said to me, and Margaret and I, hmm. um, I was in Afghanistan and I was on point. I came over the rise and I got shot. And I could see when I fell the the enemy emplacement across the valley and they were moving to set up a mortar. And as I went down, he said, my thought was, what would Sturm do? Now, Sturm was a knight character that we had written years before. Mm-hmm. And he was a knight who had stood on the battlements when all of the other knights had fled. And he alone stood against the great dragon onslaught and died on the wall. Mm-hmm. And his death shamed the rest of the knighthood so much that they turned again and remounted the walls and snatched victory from defeat. So this warrior on this ridge in Afghanistan, who had been shot in the spine, 
his first thought was, what would Sturm do? And then his second thought, he said, was, I hope this works out better for me than it did for him. And with a shattered back, he stood up on that hilltop and warned the squad behind him. So he said to me, this book saved 12 men's lives that day. And he pushed across the table what's in this box. This is For those of you who are uh, listening to this, uh, in the box, there's a purple heart decoration and a bronze star. So he pushed these two medals across the desk, uh, across the table to me, and he said, these are yours. And I've never been more humbled or more proud. We just wrote a character. Mm -hmm. But this warrior took those words and turned them into mighty action that day to have any small minute part of that was terribly humbling and showed to me why we write not for the things that our words do, but maybe for the things that they inspire others in others. And I was so grateful to that young man that day, and I'm grateful every day because I look on those medals and think of him and the many, many others in the world who have done the same. So you asked me what... Um, what the best moment was for me, that was the best moment for me to see someone translate those words into something so glorious. Absolutely. Tracy, thank you so much for sharing that uh, story with us. That, uh, folks, I, if, if that doesn't inspire you, if that, if that story of, of courage and bravery doesn't, move you to tears as well uh i i don't know what to say that that really is a powerful moment and one that i imagine any author would trade any amount of success or, or fame or money for just that one feeling that you've you've changed someone's life so much that their first thought in a moment of crisis was what would the character that you created, the character that you wrote do in that situation. I had, um, I had told this story uh, a, a few times uh, before. I, like I say, it's not one I often share, but on this day, I think it's a good one to share. Mm -hmm. um, I told this story to a friend of mine, uh, um, Carmen Didi, who is a, uh, an incredible professional storyteller and a writer of uh, books and children's books. And she, when she looked down on the medals, she said, 
she said to, she said to me, this is your Newberry. <laughs> this is your Pulitzer. Mm-hmm. And it is. Because if I never get recognition in any other way in my life, those uh, those medals on my desk um, are all that I need for this lifetime work. Absolutely. So anyway, I'm sorry. I, I just felt like I needed to share that with you tonight. I, again, I'm glad that you you shared that with us. That that is a a truly powerful and and moving story. And uh, the the fact that it's that that you were willing to share it, you know, with with myself and and with us here tonight, that I I feel honored that that you were willing to share that with me. We're all good friends here, so <laughs> I figured you know we might as well. Absolutely. Now. Um, we could probably lighten it up, though, don't you think? <laughs> Absolutely. So uh, w- when it came to, I, Laura already told us the story of how you guys decided, you know, we're going to write adventures. So how did the initial contact with TSR come about? Did you find them? Did they find you? What, you know, w- what was that first meeting like? Well, that's interesting. I, um... I had been, uh, I, as Laura had mentioned, I'd been working at theaters, uh, managing theaters of all things. Um, I'd also been a theater projectionist uh, back in, and this would have been the late 70s, early 80s. And um, uh, uh, a little career advice, uh, if I may. Um, it turns out that um, there really is no career advancement path for a movie projectionist. I mean, once you know how to show a movie, it's not like you show more complicated movies or, you know, bigger movies. Mm-hmm. Um, and and theater managers, it's a lot the same way. I mean, it's not like, you know, there's a lot of advancement opportunity going on there either. And as it turns out, <clears throat> maybe I wasn't supposed to be a theater manager from all of my life. Um and eventually we ended up, uh, we were living in Logan, Utah. We had written uh, two of our adventures, uh, Rahasia and um, and Pharaoh. Um, and both of those we had, uh, as Laura had mentioned, we had hand manufactured with absolutely no concept of copyright or trademark infringement whatsoever. <laughs> so we would write these and, and in fact, um, um, and, and this is how old I am, okay, for those of you who are uh, out there listening to us. Um, in order to create the layouts for these books, um, I would first type up the text on this IBM Selectric typewriter. Uh, for those of you who are unaware, a typewriter is kind of like a keyboard printer combined, okay? So, I'm I'm typing these out, and I would type them out in strips, right? Like columns, right? Layout columns. And then at the end of every line, I would add slash marks at the end uh, until it was justified, right? Justified. Now, today, to do that, you'd put the push the justify key combination, and it would just justify it for you. But in those days, you'd have to, like, get close to the end of the line and then add slash marks at the end. And then you would do this for every line until it was, like, 
and you had slash marks that were justified, right? Justified. Then you'd have to go back and retype it, adding additional spaces for every slash at the end to kind of push everything over so that it was right justified. Mm-hmm. And we would type these out on the typewriter. And once we got it right, then we would cut it out with scissors and use rubber cement, which was, yes, a type of glue. <laughs> to paste it into forms along with like the pictures and on pages. Then we would take those pasted up, glued up pages into a photocopy machine and do the pages there. This was the production process for our first works. We had, um, we produced two of them when we were living in Logan. By the time we were living in Logan, we produced Rahasia and produced Pharaoh. The covers were printed covers on a thing called leatherette. It was the only thing that was professionally printed about the entire thing. And then we'd go home with our photocopies and these covers on either side, hand staple them, and then use book binding tape on the on the edge to make it finished, you know, looked like it was actually published. <laughs> and then we'd go get them shrink wrapped and we would sell them to distributors directly. Well, by the time we were living in Logan, um, I'd lost my job. It was in the middle of a recession at the time. I could not find another job. Um, And um, we were actually on church welfare at the time. Um, But I couldn't take the kids to church because we couldn't afford shoes for them that winter. So in an effort to buy shoes for our children so that we could go to church, um, we actually sent uh, Farrell and Rahasia, copies of Farrell and Rahasia to TSR to see if they'd be interested in buying them. We heard that they might pay $500 for an adventure that if they bought it. Mm-hmm. Um, as it turns out, uh, Michael Gray, who later became a vice president at Hasbro, uh, or I think it was, Has- or was it Parker? I can't remember. Anyway. He'd already seen our adventures in the dungeon hobby shop in Lake Geneva on sale. Mm-hmm. And when he saw them, he said, you know, we really need to hire this guy. Um, and so they called us up. They had to actually, um, yeah, they called us up and, and said, it'd be much easier to buy your adventures if you were working for us. Could you fly out here for an interview? So... I did. I, 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 you know, we were desperate anyway, and someone was actually offering us a job. So we flew back east. I flew back east to, uh, well, for us was back east. It was Wisconsin. I mean, come on. And, um, I was picked up at the airport by David Sutherland, who looked to me like he was a young kid. I mean, he was. He was like 25, 26 at the time. He drove me in. We had a really great chat uh, on the way in. I had absolutely no idea that he was supposed to be my boss and would be interviewing me the next day. And, but the long and the short of it was I flew back home and shortly after I got home, they called up on the, they called me up and offered me a job um, in Wisconsin designing games for D&D. And this was in, uh, I believe it was 82. Mm-hmm. Um, so 
we took the job, my parents uh, called me up actually on the neighbor's phone because ours had been disconnected and begged me not to go. Um, they said, um, if you've pretty much failed at everything you've done and you've tried in your life, yeah, if you go back east and fail, we can't afford to bring you home. So we know the guy who operates the Sizzler down here in Flagstaff. Um, we can get you a job as a cook there and you can live in our basement. So faced with either being a fry cook at the Sizzler and living in my parents' basement or crossing the country and trying game design, which I loved, um, we we got in our little car and headed east. Mm-hmm. Um, we are, in fact, the first members. We were the first members of my family to cross the Great Plains as pioneers going the other way. <laughs> And that's how I got, that's how we got the job. We decided that um, Laura was going to stay home uh, and would work uh, because we had uh, two young children at the time Mm -hmm. uh, and had just made the decision that she would stay at home and be working from home with me there. And I would take the job at TSR and and, uh, go in and see if I couldn't be a game designer. And that's how it started. Gotcha. So in, in many ways, would it be fair to say that Dungeons and Dragons saved your life? I think I think that is fair to say. I, um, and, and this from somebody who actually went through the satanic panic uh, mm-hmm. of the 80s and 90s. Um, it did very much save our lives and not and not just um, in the um, in the financial, you know, fiscally supportive way but it opened up our uh, opened up our minds and 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 our souls to a life that has been so tremendously fulfilling and um uh, uh really very much full of joy and if I'm uh, getting my stories correct here, it was actually on that that drive across the Great Plains that you and Laura conceived of Dragonlance, was it not? Oh, it was actually. We had um, we were somewhere in Kansas, Nebraska, I think. Actually, now that I think about it, um, uh, driving across the, the length of Nebraska, trying to figure out what we could possibly bring to this company that would justify them paying me a salary to play games mm-hmm. and to write games. Um, I mean, we there really was a, a, a fear, I think, somewhere in the back of our minds that we would get there and realize that they'd made a mistake, that they'd somehow hired the wrong people um, and that we didn't actually have anything to offer them. So it was actually while driving across uh, the length of Nebraska that we came up with the not only the idea but the name Dragonlance uh, together, and we spent much of our time uh, crossing uh, crossing the country, um, talking about what that world would mean and what that was all about. Mm-hmm. Um, it actually coincided very nicely because after I started working at TSR. It was very popular back at that time to hire outside consultants to uh, tell you what, you know, analyze your business and tell you what would be best for your business. Um, Their report came in after a lot of money was spent 
and it was read to us. I can still remember uh, it was Penny, I think, who read it to us. Hmm. And uh, the the summary was one that um, your that our core business, the, the keystone and the cornerstone of our business, was Dungeons and Dragons. Hmm. Two. You have lots of dungeons. Three, not enough dragons. <laughs> so, you know, having spent all of this money and, and gained this tremendous wisdom, the call came out for, we need some modules about dragons. And that's when I came forward and said, well, okay, here's what we have, this thing called Dragonlance that my wife and I have come up with. And, and you know, we wanted... Um, Originally, it was, it was uh, we said we we're going to do 12 adventures, one for each of the chromatics uh, uh, that are in the original, um, uh, the original monster manual. Okay. And, um, but we didn't want to do, you know, dragon of the month kind of thing. We go in, kill a black dragon, take its stuff. Go in, kill a red dragon, take its stuff. Uh, and Laura and I, in our night in our night ventures, had infused story and plot into game design, mm -hmm. and so we took that same concept that Laura and I had pioneered to try to infuse story into the game itself. Mm -hmm. It was something that really hadn't been done before, uh, and we really didn't know how to do it at the time. It became kind of a learning thing for us, even as we were building Dragonlance. But story became very much at the heart of both the game and, of course, the novels later on. Absolutely. And I do, I, I think that ended up being very revolutionary in, in gaming because in the gaming world that I came into when I started playing D&D, &D, story was very important to the people that I was gaming with. And it was all about, you know, what what's the story the the plot line that we're going to be following throughout these adventures and uh you know thinking about kind of a a world where that wasn't the main focus where it was we're going to go into this cave we're going to kill some things and we're going to take whatever stuff we can find it and then imagining this uh you know story element being introduced into it that that kind of boggles my mind a little bit just with the gaming world that I have have come up in it was it was completely new at the time, mm -hmm. um, and no one really has was uh, exploring it until we came along, um, and it has since, of course, become very much a standard um, in uh, in gaming, and uh, I'm very happy about that. Actually, it's very much in the center of of the project that we're working on now. This uh, Sky Raiders is very deep into uh into story and history and lore it's a it's a fascinating world and we're really enjoying building it absolutely and one element of the the stuff that you guys have done that i think brought a lot of people to the table or at least got them to buy the book uh are, are some of the incredible pieces of art that have accompanied your work. Uh, very specifically, I can think of Clive Caldwell's iconic cover uh, featuring Strahd for Ravenloft, and then also the the gorgeous paintings that Larry Elmore did for Dragonlance. When you guys were giving these ideas to TSR to publish, was it 
this is Larry. He works for us. He's going to do your painting. Or was this, you know, we want Clyde for this project and we want Larry for this project. Well, did you guys get to pick at all or was or were these matchups kind of, you know, made by someone further up the chain? Well, I, it was an interesting uh, environment that we worked at at TSR at the time because all of the artists were working in a bullpen, really. They had the art department, this lit place where they were all creating this art. I, I think about it today, and I'm, I'm just in awe of that time <laughs> that, I, that I would just, you know, walk down, uh, walk out of my cubicle, go down the hall to, this, to, to the artist's area, and there would be... Keith Parkinson and and Clyde Caldwell and and Larry Elmore, all all of these really incredible, talented and and now revered you know artists who um, uh, were all just there you know and I just knew them right and we would just talk uh, and they and they they would just uh, actively. Uh, participate in it and so there was kind of a there was there was the official chain where we'd send up an art order and then they someone would assign someone to work on the art order you know all of that was the official chain but then there was also the i would walk into the art department and say hey i've got this piece of art that is coming up through the you know chain here and they say oh hey i want to do that i'll go talk to my boss and make sure that i get that or i talk to Keith and he's oh yeah that's gonna be great we're gonna do this and Clyde Caldwell oh yeah I want to do this so there was like this this kind of agreement underneath all of this where we kind of arrange ourselves as to what we would want and and who would be working on what mm-hmm. and the artists were all very much a part of the uh, of the design especially Larry Elmore I mean um before he came to TSR he had worked I think for the Air Force as a technical artist mm-hmm. and so you know when I said when he said, we got to paint these dragon lances. How do they work? And I'd describe it. And then the next day he'd show up and at home at night, he would have, he drew this exploded drawing of the dragon lance and how the pieces would all assemble into a functional lance. I mean, and that was all on his own time. Mm-hmm. In fact, uh, bless Larry, he actually worked on his own time to create sales art for us to sell dragon lance to management again on his own time. We'd all meet on the side, on, almost as though this was some sort of secret clandestine project that we were building, and then we'd uh, eventually spring it on the company. Yeah, it worked. Yeah, and and Larry, I, I've talked to Larry before. He was on the show super early on oh, uh-huh. before we even did video. Uh, and and Larry is a great great guy to talk to has lots of great fascinating stories but the way you describe him there it almost sounds like he's uh pretty similar to herb trimpy the original artist for gi joe who was also enthusiastic about picking things apart and and you know drawing very technical detailed drawings of this is how things would work in this world so that people who are that detail oriented and that focused on i want to make this thing functional and and look like it actually does what it's intended to do that that's something that really fascinates me and and really kind of makes me excited to to look at a piece of art knowing that someone's put that attention into it it's interesting how much that resonates down as well the uh original dragonlance uh cover art 
it, many people have commented on the fact that it's 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 unique in some ways in that um, the characters in the art are looking directly out of the art at you. Mm-hmm. And many people commented uh, over the years that it was those characters looking them in the eye that really connected for them and got them involved in 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 the story and in the game. Mm-hmm. Um, so much so that the new cover, in fact, for the uh, for the book that's coming out this fall, the Dragons of Deceit cover here, mm-hmm. um, when they asked us for direction on the uh, cover art for this, uh, the first thing we said to them, I mean, we didn't, the first thing we said to them is the characters have to look straight out of the cover at you. The same way that that uh, Larry's characters looked at us from the original books, and they they actually managed to do that. It's uh, um, we're grateful for them to have taken so much trouble um, to connect this new series um, with the classic works that we've done before. Absolutely, I'm very excited too. Um, uh, Matt Stawicki, who had done uh, cover art, covers for our Dragonlance uh, hardbacks a few years back, uh, actually uh, was able to do a, uh, one of the covers for our game, our our uh, Sky Raiders um, um, game book, and Larry's doing the cover for the other one. So um, we've got some really great art coming for the covers of our uh, of our books. It's good to be working with them. Absolutely. Now, you, you've mentioned it a couple times, so I do want to give you the chance to talk a little bit about this. Uh, tell us a little bit more about Sky Raiders and, and what you are are hoping to do with it as far as, you, you know, you mentioned revolutionizing the way that games are played. Uh, so, you know, tell us a little bit about this uh, this project that you guys are working on here. Well, Sky Raiders came about in, in part because um, uh, we really wanted to... Uh, we really wanted to uh, create a 5e uh, world environment, but we also wanted to impact how role playing was was done. Um, I've been I worked for many years at the Void with Joe Bory, um, who is uh, an app designer, uh, among other things, and game designer, electronic games designer. Um, he was also one of our great uh, architects uh, over at the Void, and. Um, we've been talking about doing something new in a project. And the idea of making our game books magical in and of themselves um, and extending the information of the game book into the digital world uh, to, with the focus on the idea of, of making the gaming on the table more fun, more, um, more intuitive, in some ways. And so what we're doing actually is we're developing, uh, Joe is developing the app and uh, Laura and I are creating the world and also uh, a lot of the design work for integration in all of this. But we've designed a structure where um, uh, through Joe Bory's um, AR expertise, um, you'll be able to have the player's handbook in front of you and you'll be able to look at hyster- historical figures that are from the from the world itself, but you'll be able to look at them through the lens of this app in, in an AR context. 
And it, knowing where you are in the adventure that you are at right now, for example, you can ask the historian about the background of this place. Or you could ask the botanist about the creatures who live in this area. Mm -hmm. And the information will be conveyed directly to you quietly through the app, right? Mm -hmm. What this means is that you'll be able to discover information about your adventure by magical means from the book itself. The book itself becomes magical. <laughs> but even more than that, the information within the game can now be routed directly to the player rather than told. And so we often will come into a situation where a character will you know, be in a situation uh, where the group is in, in a place and one character may know the history of the place where other people do not. Well, yeah, okay. I, do I know anything about the history of this place? Yeah, yeah, let's roll a dice. Yes, okay, yeah, you know something about the history of this place. And either they can take them out of the room, which stops the game altogether, or they can just tell everybody at the table. And then it becomes a question of, did I hear this? Did he tell me that? I, it really breaks the, um, the, the moment of the play mm -hmm. to do that. Yep. And so one of the things that our app will do is it will convey that kind of information directly to the player involved. And so instead of saying, do I know anything about this? They can just look at the app and say, oh, hey, everybody, this is what this, yeah, this bridge was built back in this time. And this is the history about this bridge, mm -hmm. which uh, unburdens the DM of having to convey the information. And it also no longer breaks the continuity of the game, but everything stays within the context of the game. So I'm very excited about um, enhancing uh, play on the table through the use of an app. One of the things we're very careful about in our design, in fact, is to make sure that we don't have like a lot of people just looking at their screens around the table. Yeah. Everything that happens on the screen is designed to focus play back on the table and between people. Mm -hmm. So I'm very, very excited about this. Um, we've also got, uh, we've actually been working on some innovations on this that are, so, that are really exciting and hopefully we'll be able to announce those in the next four weeks. Mm -hmm. um, it's, uh, it's actually going to be a lot better than I expected it to be. Mm -hmm. So um, I, I do like the idea of um, helping GMs and players experience the game uh, uh, and and to remove um, any of the uh, interference uh, between them and play. Hmm. Yeah, that that really is kind of a brilliant addition to the game, because even if you think about sending a text message to one of your players as a GM, you still have to take the time to type all of that out and send it. And you again, you're, you're enforcing this. We have to keep constantly looking at our screens while we're playing the game. Um, the fact that that's now automatic through this app that, you know, the people who need to know this information or would know this information, know it, here's, you know, the information for them and there's no disruption, there's no typing out long paragraphs or anything. That, I, I, I do see that being very beneficial to, to tables, and, and it's a good way to 
utilize technology without feeling like technology has cannibalized the in-person uh, gaming space. Yeah, I think technology, the best technology gets out of the way of play. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't sit between you and, and, and the game itself. And that's, that's exactly where we're going with the design of this app and of this world. So I find, I find all of that hugely exciting. Plus, I mean, new technologies are helping us in many other ways. One of the things that we're doing in SkyRaiders, for example, is we provide STL files for uh, miniatures and for dice towers and for DM screens, mm-hmm. all of which are 3D printable. Um, this, is, uh, this actually is one of our characters. Here, I get that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That uh, is, it's a, th- a 3D printed miniature. Gotcha. Yeah. And um, we also have uh, this dice tower. I like this one. This one's that. Um, oh, ooh. oh, that's gorgeous. Yeah, it's a gorgeous dice tower and works beautifully. Um, um, it, it actually, she, uh, uh, Kim Bory, who is uh, Joe's, uh, Joe's wife and, and also a part of our project, she's also a UX designer and uh, 3D modeler mm-hmm. um, who, who designed and, and you know, created a dice tower. She actually created a, a really um, lovely method within the tower itself to get the die spinning. Um, it's almost like rifling in, down the barrel yeah. or something that yeah. gets the dice rolling and moving and shifting and gives that nice satisfying sound of it rattling down the uh, down uh, down through the tower, so that you do actually get a decent a decent roll result. So I'm. Uh, uh, it's really exciting to work with people who are so innovative and connected to gaming itself. Now, as we reach the end of our time here, uh, there have been recent announcements that Dragonlance is coming back for 5e. Uh, how does it make you feel knowing that this thing you created is still spinning it's still moving and it's still going to be experienced uh you know years and years after it was originally put out there by newer players uh who who have only experienced D through 5e they now get a dragon lance uh that that they get to play in and experience how does that make you feel as uh one of the creators of this property i'm tremendously I'm tremendously gratified and grateful that uh, Dragonlance has lasted down through these decades. Um, that it's been some place that we've all been able to share as a journey and 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 take this uh, take this path together. Um, it's one of the things that Margaret and I enjoy so much about uh, uh, the the new book is it's a it's a good chance for us to pick up our staff. Uh, and uh, join this road, not just for uh, ourselves, but also with uh, all of the many fans that have uh, followed us down this road before. But as you mentioned, this is an opportunity for others to join us on this path as well and to have it uh, continue on. Um, As uh, Tolkien wrote, the road goes ever on. And what a wonderful thing that we can all uh, enjoy this together. It's um, it's also important, I think, uh, uh, 
platform, I think Margaret and I both um, recognized that we couldn't possibly have made this journey together if it hadn't been for everyone who had supported the journey in the first place. That it was all of those people who bought those books and played those games and all of those people today who are buying those books and playing those games and who will get to play again um, that actually give life to this world and um, and and keep the and keep the journey going. Um, so I, for one, am tremendously grateful to uh, to all of those who follow us down this path. Um, and for those who diverge from the path. Um, or uh, or maybe are taking a different road down Dragonlance than than we have. Um, uh, we are grateful for them taking the journey as well. Um, so uh, it's it's a tremendous honor to have so many people follow us on this road, and so gratifying that that we get to take the road again. Absolutely. Well, Tracy, as we reach the end of our time here today, uh, anything that you have to promote or anywhere you want to direct people, uh, anywhere they can support your work, definitely let us know here uh, so that people can can do so. Yep, gladly. We are. Uh, I'm, uh, I will let you know. Um, we are expecting to open up our backer kit for. Uh, um, for our Sky Raiders of Avarox project uh, here shortly, which means that people again will be able to come in and actually uh, um, uh, support that product and get product as soon as it's finished. Um, uh, the book, uh, Dragons of Deceit, the first in the trilogy, comes, uh, comes out, I believe, this August. We hope everybody will enjoy uh, starting this journey again with us. The uh, other two books uh, are actually um, uh, finished in some form. Uh, we've actually written uh, both the, uh, all three of the books. Um, so those will be coming soon. Um, and beyond that, um, you can find me uh, on YouTube. Uh, on Wednesday nights, I usually uh, run a stream a game uh, there on uh, Dragonhearth Live on my channel. Um, and other than that, um, I'm back to work at The Void. So you can visit thevoid.com and, uh, and follow our progress uh, there as we try to bring um, location-based uh, hyper-reality to, uh, to all of you uh, again. Um, as you can see, I've got a lot of things going on. Uh, at the moment, um, uh, but all of it is deeply satisfying and an awful lot of fun. Hmm. Uh, hopefully, I'll be able to uh, um, uh, get some of these projects uh, finished properly, so I can get back to finishing my uh, Star Trek uh, TOS uh, Enterprise model, which I've been working on for over a year now. I would really like to have it done. It turned out really well. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Tracy, once again, thank you. And, and be sure to, to thank Laura for us, uh, you know, for taking this time uh, to, to come on the show and, and talk with us here. This has been a fantastic uh, conversation that we've had here. And I, I'm glad that uh, we were able to, to take the time to do this today. 
Thank you. It's been a real joy being here, and and uh, I hope I didn't talk too much. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with talking too much on a podcast. So, okay. well, folks, that's going to do it for uh, this episode here. Thank you, one and all, for you know coming by and and listening to this conversation once again. If you want to share this with uh, you know friends who love Dragonlance or love Ravenloft or love both of them and weren't able to swing by and uh, join us live, the audio and the uh, the YouTube links will be available as soon as uh, we get those put up. And uh, you know if you want to stay on top of what we're doing here at Valor Studios, you can follow us on Twitter and uh, you can join our Discord community, which you should see a link for over here in the chat. And if you want to follow me personally on my social medias, uh, Twitter and Instagram are where I'm most active. Instagram is where you can see me painting miniatures. And on both of those, I am at Howard underscore Ryan Gregg. Uh, so we've got some cool stuff planned for next month. Uh, we're actually going to take the first Monday off uh, just to to give people some uh, some time to rest and, and take care of some personal matters. Uh, but we will be back on the 13th uh, with a guest that I have scheduled. I'll be announcing that uh, coming up at the end of this week. And, uh, you know, June is going to be another fun month of great RPG interviews here on Rollin' Bone. So I hope you guys will join us then. And until next time, whether you rolled a 1 or a 20, I am so glad that you rolled your bones with me, Ryan Howard. Have a happy Memorial Day, and I will see you guys next time. Farewell.